Welcome to the Inside Scoop Live podcast, where indie authors get personal about their books, their writing, and their passions. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Join me for some lively conversations with debut indie authors and seasoned veterans alike. It's a great place to find your next amazing read or even get inspired. So sit back and enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Hi, everyone. Vitros Van Heist joins the show today to talk about her book, Bones in the Alley. In it, she shares her journey to self-awareness, making it clear that self-discovery is essential in the pursuit of happiness and meaning, and that everything you need to overcome life's challenges is already within you. Before we get started, here's the inside scoop on the author. Vitros Van Heist is a recent widow who lives between Barbados, her birth country, and the United States. She lives with a little dog named Charlie and spends her time reading, writing, and gardening. Bones in the Alley is her third book. She holds a Master of Arts degree in History from Howard University and a Master of Science degree in Metaphysics from the University of Metaphysics. Her greatest accomplishment is the raising of her four children. And you can learn more about Vitros and her work at vitrosvanheis.wixsite.com slash Elaine. Well, hi, Vite Rose. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm glad to be here. I'm great. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you're here as well. Why don't you yes. kick us off by telling us a little bit about your book? What is Bones in the Alley about and what inspired you to write it? Bones in the Alley is about my journey through life. What inspired me to write it is I needed healing. And writing it was very cathartic. It healed me. It helped me to see myself as I am, an amazing human being, and not be pained through my entire life, which I was in my early life, very pained, Mm. very sad. So Bones in the Alley, along with all the other things I was learning, freed me to be. That's what um, Bones in the Alley is. And also I was inspired to share my story because I know there are many others out there who have similar stories, but all of us don't tell our stories. Right, right. It takes courage. I mean, it can be difficult to revisit past experiences, especially if they weren't that great. Uh, What was it like for you to revisit those past experiences in order to write your book? I think that Revisiting some of the, yes, it was painful, especially some of my childhood experiences and some of the pain that I experienced as a child, I went back there. But also, I want you to know that when, by the time I had written that, came to the conclusion to write that book, I had encountered Edgar Foley, and he helped me so much mm. to understand my pain body and also to heal from my pain body. So I don't think it was as painful because I had moved ahead somewhat from encountering him in 1999. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So did you kind of start writing for therapeutic reasons or did you sit down with the intention of writing the book? I sat down with the intention of writing the book. I started writing that. That book came out in 2015 and I started writing it seven years before then. Oh, wow. Yeah, I and yeah, it was. I, I, my life was not. I had graduated from graduate school. Things weren't going as I hoped they would have. 
and I just sat down and started to tell my story, mm. you know, to write it and decided that it, it would be a book. And I lost it. I had to send it away to Texas to the guy who had recovered the stuff from the shuttle that had crashed. And he charged me $500. He offered to do it for me because the, the USB cable broke that the book was on. Mm. And, oh, someone had stolen my computer. So, and all I had was it on the cable. And he answered me and he said he would do it for me. And I told him I didn't have the money. He said I could pay him a little at a time. And when I got to $400, he sent it to me. Oh, wow. uh, I was so grateful. Yes, wow. yes. I'm interested in your title, Bones in the Alley. That's so, <laughs> it, it kind of sounds like a murder mystery, but <laughs> how did you come up with the title kind of in the context um, of your journey? I, I was very skinny as a little girl. When I was 12, I weighed 75 pounds, something like that. But anyways, when I was in elementary school, the children would see me and they would say Bones in the Alley 10 for a penny. And I only recently, I went to a literary function and I saw people, Barbadians there who knew it. Um, that is something that children would say to other people when they were skinny. Not nice, but. So that's why I wrote, I called the book Bones in the Alley, because in a sense, I'm saying, you know, look at Bones in the Alley now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, yeah. you talked about difficult childhood experiences, and they included family life and societal challenges. How did they uh, kind of shape your perspective on life and relationships and family and belonging? Well, I'll tell you, my childhood shaped my, my life in the sense that I became a mother very early and I was determined to be the best mother that they could be because I wanted my children to have. I realized how important the presence of a mother is in their children's lives. So I was there with my children. You know, my life was, the, my children guided it, my life. I came into this world with a desire to learn and to know. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I continue to learn. And of course, my life was also influenced by becoming a Seventh-day Adventist. I, I would always tell people, getting married at 17 and becoming a Seventh-day Adventist at the age of 17 or probably closer to 18, totally impacted my life because Adventism, I don't know if you know, their message of health, they were ahead of everybody else. But the sad part is they associated with salvation. But nevertheless, their health message, how to eat, what to eat, the best way to eat, I learned that from Adventism. And I, of course, embraced that. I also embraced from Adventism how to spend my time. And to this day, I still live like that, though not a Seventh-day Adventist. So I would say a benchmark in my life was Adventism. Yes. Okay. So that was that was totally new, a new religious experience at the age oh, yeah. of 17. Uh, yes. I grew up in a religious environment, but I became an Adventist at the age of 17. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, yeah. you talked a little bit about you were a young mother. You know, you become a mother and you want to do the best for your children and you wanted them to have a better experience than you did. If you reflect on your mother's experiences and, and your experiences with her growing up, how do you view her journey now through the lens of, of being an adult and a mother? Um, I view her journey as very, I could understand her pain 
she apologized to me because she raised two other boys and but she was there for them she was not there for me mm. i was left to other people and she never she's died and i don't think she believed in me so we never really had like a really good type mother-daughter relationship but she was good to me in later years in many ways so as I look back, and if you read in the book, I, I think I also mentioned that I understand her pain and I understand her journey. And I understand not only that, but my mother is, Barbados is a slave society. I still think that we, historically, we still have the vestiges of, of slavery in many ways, in relationships, and in many ways is still here. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I don't hold anything against her or my other relatives who I spend a lot more time with than her yeah yeah we do the best we can with what we know and what we exactly yeah exactly yes yeah Yeah. when you know better you do better exactly and I learned to know better so I did better I mean as a teenager I was homeless I was very very poor you know my my first baby I got out of the house so that made me homeless Mm. yeah and Life was very difficult for me, but you know, it didn't make me a bitter person. My neighbor who read my book in recent years, she said to me, Elaine, I can't believe that you experienced all that and you were the kind of person that you are. Oh, wow. So, was there a turning point for you? Was there a sudden event that uh, put you on the path to finding happiness and meaning in your life? Or or was it just a um, gradual... I, I, well, you know, I stayed married for 28 years, but I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. I am a go-getter and a doer and getting things done. And that caused a difficulty in my marriage, but I was totally dependent. I, I didn't have independence. As soon as I came to the place where I had some autonomy, I got a divorce and I never thought I would have gotten a divorce. I got a divorce after 28 years. Wow. And when I got a divorce and I had gotten ill too, I became, you know, mentally ill and when i saw the guidance the, the counselor he said are you why don't you get a divorce and i said i would never get a divorce but then i came to the point where i had autonomy because i opened a tailor shop and it gave me the independence that i could you know move on and i did and then with the divorce i also moved away from christianity i started looking for answers to life because i didn't find that christianity was answering my questions. I found there was a lot of questions I didn't answer. Right. And I'm the kind of person when I grasp onto something, I give it my all. I don't have to do anything. So I started seeking and searching. And it is when I got to graduate school in Washington, D.C., that somebody gave me Conversations with God or Uncommon Dialogue by Donald Walsh. And there I found the answers to all the questions I was having and in terms of my Christian understanding. I mean, it wasn't easy to move away from Christianity. I mean, you were born and bred in this stuff and here you were learning a whole new understanding about who you are yeah. and how to relate to the world. So it wasn't easy, but I was seeking and searching. I could totally at a shanty, moji, anything that I could find that would help me to understand that I wasn't, you know, a bad person. I was just learning how to truly live. Yeah. yeah. And even just learning when you're brought up in with a certain religious background, just learning or realizing that it's okay to question those beliefs. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's hard because no, very few people question those beliefs. We are taught to follow, especially in 
in colonized societies, we are taught just to follow. But right. I was always a rebel. There was something in me that didn't follow <laughs> easy. And that was my biggest problem. I don't follow easy. I want to know for myself. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's a good thing, though. Now, you, you talked a little bit about graduate school in America. How did the opportunity to go to America happen? My aunt came to America, and she came home for a visit. And I asked her if she would help me to America. And four years after I was married, yeah, I came to America at the age of 21 with three children. Oh, while you were still married. Okay. Oh, yeah. I was married already, yeah. Okay, yeah. wow. So coming to America was... You know, we see America as the land of opportunity, and I came there to make a better life for myself and my children. But it was tough, let me tell you. It was a hard road to plow, but I plowed it. Yeah. yeah. you got to work hard. Nobody doesn't give you anything. Right, you right. You have to work hard. Yeah. And that's what I did. Yeah. And it created a lot of issues in my marriage, too. We weren't on the same page when it came to that. I can see that. I mean, just depends on which background your spouses are raised and and what their beliefs are too. So So what would you say going from where you started to where you are now? What, Mm -hmm. what was the key for you to finding happiness and meaning in life? Um, Understanding who I am. First, begin with understanding that I'm not a sinner. I never need saving. I never would need saving. Yes, the form self that is manifested in this world do wrong things, you know, and have things that they need to be sorry about. But you cannot be lost. You cannot be lost. And that's the biggest misnomer that we've been taught in this world. And it causes so much pain. You know, you tend to spend so much time when you make a mistake, you develop, and, 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 you know, it's so much wasted time. So I, when I came to that understanding, it was so freeing. I finally had the peace that passed of all understanding. But I don't think in coming to that understanding, you do wrong things because you get in touch with your true self. You get in touch with what man calls the soul, and that soul is your God self. And mm. you, when you live more in harmony with that, you live so much differently. And I know it's not a popular belief or understanding, but it's the one that I came to. And I, I did a lot of research, and I'm still, I still listen to a lot of people, and I know there's a lot of thought out there. I think more so nowadays than when I started, of people helping people to understand who we are. Because when we understand who we are, we live differently. Mm-hmm. Did you have a particular audience in mind when you wrote your book? I know you said you wrote it for personal reasons and to help others. Is there a particular audience you'd like to reach? I would like to reach the audience, male and female, who is struggling with life, who is bogged down with their mistakes and the pain of their lives and the trauma, because I had a lot of trauma, like Eckhart Tolle talks about the pain body, and that's the trauma in your life that causes that pain body, and there's a lot of people with that. And I just wrote the book, hoping and believing that somebody would pick it up and find their soul, and understanding that they have to take responsibility. Nobody does it for you. You have to do it for yourself. Right. We're each responsible for our own happiness. Oh, my God. (laughs) Which is hard sometimes. So now, have you had any kind of feedback from readers uh, that have read your book? Well, the book came out in 2015. What you're dealing with is a republished. So it has five reviews, all five reviews on Amazon, the first publication. But the feedback that I get from everybody is they can understand that I was so able to be so open and share my truth. And a lot of people really glad. I met a young lady. I was on a morning Barbados last week. And I met a young lady this weekend and she 
he was so happy to meet me <laughs> after seeing me on television, you know. Yeah. And so the book is encouraging to a lot of people. A lot of people gain strength from reading it. Right. Yes. Right. Now, would you call it, um, it, it's kind of, a, it's a memoir or, or an autobiography. And then yes. um, does it have elements of self-help? Like, do you give readers opportunities to go inside or is it strictly autobiographical? Everybody that helped me, I give to the reader out there. I shared with the reader. Every person, every place, everything that became valuable to me, the reader can find in my book. Okay. Okay. So, so it, it does have self-help elements yes. as well. And I tend not only to talk about the things that is negative, I tend to give steps. Like for instance, a child that people would say is hard ears, you probably don't know what that means, but a disobedient child. And I tend to think if the child got, like Leo Boscalia says that a child spells love, T-I-M-E. So I tend to give those kind of, those little things I allude to in the book, things that would help. Okay. Yeah. Looking back now, mm -hmm. is there anything in your journey that you would have done differently? No. Everything in my journey was important toward the development of the human that I have become. So I have no regrets. Yes, there was a time when I, if you had met me before I met Agatha Tolley, I would have been the one of the most regretful people that you would have met. Mm. But since I come to understand, to take responsibility, and you know, and that was another thing. When I was at graduate school, I met the same person that gave me conversations with God, he said to me, Elaine, do you know that all of this stuff, because I would always confide in anybody that I met that I felt comfortable with the pain of my childhood. And he says, Elaine, do you know that you created all that so you can become? And that's the hardest thing for people to understand because we don't understand the power that we bring into this world. We don't understand because yeah. of what we've been taught. Yeah. So I, it took me a long time to grasp that, but then eventually I did grasp it. So I have no regrets about anything. I am really grateful for who I have become. Yeah. And it definitely takes all of our experiences to become the person that we are. Exactly. So that's every If we are willing to learn, because everybody doesn't learn from their experiences. Right. That's true. That's true. Not everybody yeah, does yeah. learn that lesson. Yeah. What? Responsibility is the biggest thing. Yeah. Take responsibility. Absolutely. What advice would you give to people going through similar challenges? Believe in self. You know, you have to believe in self. You And, and everybody don't, I mean, we tend to end up with negative self-thought and negative beliefs. And if we can find a way to believe, even the slightest little belief, you know, I didn't know I was good looking when I was young. I didn't. I didn't. Nobody told you, huh? And I couldn't look in the mirror. Well, I remember as a little girl here, my mother saying how good looking I was, but my experiences didn't give me the positive attitude toward myself. I couldn't look in the mirror. That's how much I hated myself. Oh, yeah. You know, so I think that there's hope for everybody. You just have to want something differently. And I, I find with me that if you long and desire for it, it will come to you. Something will come. You have to be open to accept whatever little thing that comes to you that would give you the change that you need. Yeah. I didn't go looking for a lot of the stuff that I learned. It came to me. And that's because in my heart, I desire the change. I desire to become something different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's the deepest thing. Have a great desire within yourself to be something different or to do different. I have a different experience and I think it comes to you. 
because we are not in this universe, we are, we are not separate in this universe. Like I tell people, you look at the sunset or sunrise, you see the power in that? Mm. That's who you are. And who causes that? That's the same power that is working for you. Right. It is hard to see that we are our own worst enemy sometimes. Most yes. times, most times. Yeah. Most times, yes. So what does healing and self-awareness look like for you today? And how do you continue to nurture those things in your life? I continue them by writing the writing my books. You know, I just wrote another book called um, Living Intentionally. Oh. And yes, I, I have uh, Living Intentionally came a little before this new publication of this one. And for me, I am seeking to share, I'm seeking to help my fellow man to rise above the mundanity of our existence, to the poor meanness of our existence, mm. and to see the power that's within each of us. And love, I find love is so lacking. I find if you could really understand what it means to really love, and they don't have to be perfect, but you still just need to love. And that's, you know, my husband died um, a year and a half ago. Mm. So, yeah, that was a hard, not a hard time for me. Did you keep in contact and with him after your divorce? No, I got married again. Oh, I see, I see, okay. I got married to a Dutch Canadian 10 years ago. Yeah, I was divorced for 20 years. That's when I developed myself. I went to school, I got two master's degrees, I learned, I continued to seek and to learn. And then I moved to Florida in 2012 to help my aunt, and I met a husband there. Oh, okay. We were, we were married for nine years, yeah. Oh, wow. So he died in 2022. Oh, wow. So I'm all alone. So that was also, I got knocked off. It was really a happy, really wonderful experience. You know, and because of my the beliefs that I developed, I didn't totally get lost. It didn't destroy me. I understand that death is something that we all have to face. It's just a transition. And we would have preferred if he had lived to grow all together, but it didn't happen. So, right. yeah. So I find inner strength and inner knowing that I'm not in this universe. Like I said to you, when I see the power of the sunsets and the sunrises, and I know that that power is mine, then I rise. I rise. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Now, I was going to ask you if you had any uh, future plans or projects, and you mentioned you have another book. So is this one already published, Living Intentionally? Yes. It is living intentionally is out. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm having a book launch on the third here in Barbados. And I'm hoping at some point I'll be able to have a book launch in America. Okay. Tell us a little so, bit um, about it. Um, um, living intentionally, it, it is exactly what it is. When I started to write living intentionally, I thought, well, what do I know about living intentionally? He says, you know, my whole life has been an intentional ex experience because of my childhood, the pain of my childhood. And because I didn't find very few people believed in me, so therefore I lived intentionally. Everything I did, I did well. I strive to do well, to be a mother, to be a wife. I strive to do well. So I had a sense of intention about everything I did. And then I found that, you know, go to school, I was intentional. Everything Elaine strived to do, she does. She strived to be intentional about. Yeah, and I mean, I there was a lot I had to learn along the way, but I find that we are not very intentional about compassion and, and empathy and, you know, just loving, just being good people with one another. I don't think we are very intentional about that. 
Yeah. Right. We're intentional about the people close to us, our relatives and stuff, but the other people we are not intentional about seeing that they need us to love them too and to be kind and thoughtful, all those things. So that's what living intentionally is. I, I address all of those things in there. Okay. And, and I find that because of my life, I tend to be compassionate because of my experience. I tend to have greater feeling and empathy for my fellow man. Yes. You can empathize and you know what other people are going through from your experiences. So living intentionally is more self-help based. Well, you know, the first two chapters are kind of autobiographical because I, you know, when I I talked about living intentionally, I didn't know. I I went back and I revisited how I live intentionally as a mother and a wife. So those two chapters... But then I go on to talk about growing old, how to grow old, intentionally growing old. And I talk about intentionally loving, intentionally, you know, all the other things, serving. You know, a lot of people don't intentionally serve. So I I talk about all those aspects, those things that make us truly human. That's what I talk about living intentionally. And I, you know, I'm an avid reader. And I use all the people who have addressed these things. I always give you the reference to these people. I use them. I put my understanding of their wisdom in, in, in my books, all my books. Okay, right. So how many books do you have now? Just the two? Or? I have three. I have three. I have one in between these two. I wrote about a, a little dog I have named Charlie. It's called Incredible Charlie. Coming from an environment, a society that doesn't care for animals and don't treat them with love. And they're doing better and nowadays, but in my day, animals were just something that were there. You know, the Utonian ideas of they're separate. Not necessarily so you, pets, right? Yeah. Yes, you, you don't love a dog. You can't love a dog. So anyways, I got this little dog. Well, moving to America helped me with that. But I, have, I got a little dog in 2008 named Charlie. And first beginning with he had my temperament, so he helped me to love myself because he was very hyper like I was. <laughs> and also when I, you know, the things I, I guess is because of my understanding that I see this in him. And I find that when I look into his eyes, I see eternity. I don't see anything to hate. I see something to love. I see death when I look into Charlie's eyes. So I wrote this book about Charlie and how loving dogs are. You know, they meet one another and they hug and they kiss and everything else. And we would knock over one another and don't see us, see <laughs> the other person. So, uh, yeah, so I wrote this little book. I really and truthfully, it should be called Lessons Learned from a Dog. And also learning to be living in the now. That's how dogs live. Like Charlie, I, I mentioned Charlie would be playing with something and, oh, he'd be seeming to having the greatest fun with it. But if it rolled under the door, he just laid down. He was done, you know. He was, <laughs> yeah, but we don't do that. You know, we have relationships and they break up and we sometimes kill ourselves over them. Yeah. We don't know how to live in the now. So that's what that book is about. Yeah, that, yeah, that sounds good. wonderful. Everything I needed yeah. to know, I learned from my dog. That, was, <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good title, too. <laughs> yeah. I, I, really, I should have titled it Lessons Learned from a Dog. Yeah. That's what I mean. <laughs> It's called The Incredible Charlie. Oh, my goodness. I was trying to rename it, but that didn't happen. Oh, well, you've been busy. So uh, over the course of writing three books, uh, are they getting easier for you over time? Well, of course, if you know where I came from, you know, my mother, I came out of school at 12 years old. And to be even able to write a book that anybody would think that's credible, you know, like when I got back the review from the 
editor of Bones in the Alley and, and what she said to me, it just fills my heart up. Because when I first write Bones in the Alley, I had to have a lot of people to read it to help me because my, you know, coming from Barbados and not being educated, I, my grammar was awful, but I'm doing so much better. Mm-hmm. So it is becoming easy. And like I said, I read a lot. So that to me, if you're going to write, you need to read. Absolutely. And I'm writing another book right now. Really? Um, You've been busy. Yes. <laughs> um, well, I'm not very diligent about it, but I started it. I think I'm up to like chapter two. I'm writing it about the amazing experience. It's called A Season of Love, of what Harry and I shared. Oh, that sounds beautiful. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm writing about right now. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us a little bit about yourself and your work today. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, just tell people to buy my book and they would learn more. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Buy this book. Yes. And I'll put yes. a link to your website in the notes. And so everyone yes. will have access to it. So, yes. well, thank and, you. Yes. Thank you too, Sherry. Thank you for joining me today for my interview with Vitros Ben Heiss, author of Bones in the Alley. To learn more about Vitros and her work, visit her website at vitrosbenheis.wixsite.com. And be sure to check out our other interviews at InsideScoopLive.com.